uh, kick off my shoes again. If you haven't done so already, I recommend you do as well. <laughs> you get incredibly comfortable when you take your shoes off. And it doesn't feel like a meeting. As I said the other week, I want it to feel like we're in the front room. A very large front room with lots of seats. <laughs> but a front room nevertheless. Now you have on your tables, in front of you, um, a glass. One is upside down, the other one is the right way up. There is a reason for that. There's also a pen next to the glass that is the right way up. And that glass and that pen are sitting on top of some napkins. Bear those in mind. We're going to be taking bread and wine at the end uh, of this talk this morning. Um, And we're going to take that from the glass that's upside down. So it's not been gathering dust all morning or anything like that. There is a purpose and there's a rhyme to the reason for those things, um, but I'll get to that at the end. So you can look forward to that. Isn't that exciting? Okay. All right, let me... um, Well, anyway, just another good morning. Um, If there's any visitors that have arrived since I said good morning earlier, my name is Mark and I serve as part of the leadership here. Uh, For those of you who have been with us for a while and you've got an extremely short memory, my name is Mark and I serve as part of the leadership here. Okay, so what I want to do is remind us of the, um, the kind of the seven principles that we've uh, kind of, uh, through God's, God's grace, we've generated um, to connect with our, to be, uh, our message, which is to be kingdom builders and not empire builders. Uh, and those seven principles, um, we've, we've spoke about them, I'm going to remind you again this morning, is uh, one of those, first one is, uh, and they're in no particular order, but is relationship that we are to be a relational people, not a people of organization, um, and we need to invest time into one another with a real emphasis of living local, because if you remember our um, strategy for working out our kingdom, to be kingdom builders message, is that we really rise up or raise up uh, the importance of life groups. And so there's an expectation there that every one of us um, will at some point either host or lead or be part of um, a life group, and that is how we're going to outwork our missional mindset um, towards the city. So we're raising it up to the level that this meeting is on. So this meeting is no more and no less important than those gatherings during the week. Um, you want more information about that? Obviously, go visit the web, and you can download or listen to again um, the kind of the two me- the two vision casting messages that were said uh, a few weeks ago. So what's the second thing? Let's remind us: prayer. Prayer is foundational to everything we do. If you call yourself a Christian, then prayer is something you should be doing daily. It should be something you should be interacting with, talking with God, and really having a good old conversation, a chinwag with him every single day. Prayer is foundational to everything we do. And that together with our strategy of life groups, raising the importance of life groups, that these geographical places will be places of powerful prayer. Um, this is as one of those as well. Communion is one of our principles. I'm not going to speak too much about that because that's what the message is today. I'm going to be talking about bread and wine. And then we've got teaching. Teaching is really important. Sound biblical teaching and discipleship has to be a top priority. And we've got to say not what the world wants us to, to do and say, but what does the Bible do and say? What does it say about how we should run our lives? Not how the world suggests we should run our lives. So sound biblical teaching. And then we've got community. So um, we make, we, the aim is for us to connect actively uh, with our local communities and work with others in our localities to bless our neighborhoods by doing good. 
And then what we've got here, we've got accountability. We need to make ourselves accountable to one another uh, and to the leadership of the house. So the leadership of this house, the leadership of the individual life groups. Make ourselves accountable to those guys because they're there. God has placed them there to serve you, to care for you. And at the end of time, they're going to be ones that's going to be standing in front of Jesus and he's going to say, how did you do with the people I gave you to look after? And those leaders have got to say, I did the best I could. So try and make that job easy for those that are leaders in your life group or in the house here. Um, when we make ourselves willingly accountable to others, these others can help us stay focused. They can encourage us when we need strength. And they can help get us back on track when we start to stray. And then, finally, we need to learn how to truly honor one another. Uh, in Romans 12, verses 9 to 10 from the message, it says this, Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. And this is a really important bit. Practice playing second fiddle. Honoring one another. If you're going to take anything away from that, just practice playing second fiddle. Okay. But this is what we're going to concentrate on today. We're going to talk about communion or as some people have called it, bread and wine, or the Lord's Supper, or Eucharist. And there are other kind of ways that you can refer to the bread and wine. Now, all these, all these things um, are really just there, these names and these, these words for it. This thing is, it, it refers to a time where we can join together as a group of believers to really remember what Christ has done for us. And there are many questions about communion. I'm going to refer to this mainly as communion rather than saying bread and wine all the time. There are many questions about communion that have been debated throughout the centuries. So here's some of those questions. Is it open to everyone or just church members? Do we use real wine or do we use grape juice? Do we use one cup or do we use many? And is it really the body and blood of Christ? Or is it just a representation? So some, some believers believe it, it, it actually turns into the, the flesh and blood of Christ as you, as you partake of it. I think that's called transubstantiation, if you want to note that down in your books. Before I move on a little bit more, I just want everybody to open their Bibles or your Bible apps, whatever is most appropriate. <laughs> Corinne's laughing at me as if I would have a Bible app. Um, Open it to, that's exactly what you do when you open your Bible app. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 20 to 32. So 1 Corinthians 11, verses 20 to 32. And for the moment, I just want you to put your thumb there, or your, your red kind of thing, or your bookmark, and just open it up there, and leave that open, because we're going to refer to that in a bit. While I was looking around um, the web on the subject of bread and wine, I came across a tale about a group of young believers that had gone on an impromptu road trip together. And one evening, during their worship time, they felt that God was leading them to take communion together. And not having planned in advance for it, um, they found what they could to represent the elements, the, the bread and the wine. And so they celebrated it with Dr. Pepper and a packet of crisps. 
Now, this wasn't their norm. This is what they normally did when they were kind of part of their church meeting and what have you. But in that very moment, Dr. Pepper and a packet of crisps represented their heart and passion for Christ. Now, when we read and look at Scripture, we don't actually find that much about it. We don't actually read too much about bread and wine. The only specifics we see are when Jesus instituted it in the Gospels and when Paul mentions it while correcting abuses and missteps in the Corinthian church. What we do know is that it arose out of the Passover meal uh, that Christ was sharing with his disciples. Now, the Passover meal was there to celebrate God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. And it's in the midst of this meal that Matthew 26, chapter 26, is set. And let me read that to you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, biblical scholars disagree on how it was originally celebrated. Some say that the early church celebrated it every day. Uh, Some say every Passover. And still others say every Lord's Day or Sunday or Saturday, kind of whichever theological standpoint you want to place yourselves. But this morning, what I want us to do is I want to separate ourselves from any controversy, separate ourselves from any disagreements, about bread and wine. And I want to see if together we can come to a clearer understanding of what communion is about and how best we can honour it. So I want to set all those things aside. And I just want to pray one more time. Father God, as I'm saying these words this morning, Father, as I'm sharing with these good folk here this morning, Father God, all that you've, you've, you've laid on my heart to share, Father, let it be, um, my, my words be a vessel of faith, Father God, a vessel of you, Father God, to speak something of you. So Father, let the subject that we're, I'm speaking on this morning speak into people's hearts and not just into people's heads. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So let's set the scene. Um, From the institution of communion to the time Paul wrote to the Corinthians 20 or 30 years later, the Lord's Supper uh, had morphed into a party that was no longer representative of the original intent and purpose. Uh, It was common now in in the kind of Greco-Jewish culture to have big feasts or what some would call um, putlocks or potlucks. Basically a bring and share. So a large meal where everyone would bring something and then they would share this meal together. And it was part of the culture of the Jewish feast and it was also a huge part of the Greek culture to do this pretty regularly. They liked their food. Uh, For the Christians, this thing developed in something called the agape feast or rather the love feast. Um, agape is, is, is a word that's trying to describe the intense love of God that he feels for you. So agape isn't, oh, I love that record, I agape that record, I agape that, that car. Because that's just kind of a, a very shallow love. Agape is something much, much deeper than that. A deep love. And so this feast that they got together was to represent his love amongst them. It was a great time of fellowship and sharing life. 
in common. This sounds familiar. Life groups, sharing life in common. And we can read about all of that in Acts 2. So if you want to read more about these feasts and these acts, read Acts 2. But some way along the line, things got a little bit off kilter. In Corinth, people would bring their food and eat with their friends. And yet then they would separate themselves based on wealth or class. Some would gorge themselves while others went hungry. Some would get drunk while others went thirsty. It no longer represented what Christ originally planned. So let me read you now 1 Corinthians. And you're going to hear Paul's scathing rebuke. So if you can open your Bibles to that or just listen to my words. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he has given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why so many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. They had lost sight of their purpose. The Lord's Supper was to honor and to remember Christ, and they weren't doing that. The agape feast was to celebrate their fellowship and community, and they weren't doing that either. So what can we make out of this confusion? And to ask the question again, what is important about communion? And the simple answer is that it's important to remember Christ and what he has done. To quote him, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance. Not merely an idea of what happened, but a recognition, an affirmation. This concept of remembering in the Hebrew mind meant more than simply recalling something that happened in the past. It meant recapturing 
as much of the reality and significance of the person or situation as possible in the conscious mind. Jesus is requesting that Christians think about the meaning of his life and his death on their behalf. A person can participate in communion, but if his mind is a million miles away, he truly hasn't remembered the Lord. Jesus says that this is my body, which is given for you. Now there's a word used in this sentence, which brings it together in context. There are some translations of scripture which say this is my body broken for you now, that's a theological discussion I'm not going to get into too much right now except to say maybe some of the particularly the King James version which says it maybe they were referring to the brokenness because he was breaking the bread at the same time but there's a word here actually which for me says he wasn't talking about his body being broken because there is a prophecy that his body wouldn't be broken and that word is huper, which means for the sake of, instead of, on behalf of. So we could read this line as saying, this is my body for the sake of you, instead of you, on behalf of you. He gave his body in our stead. He paid the ultimate penalty so that we didn't have to it's more than a gift it's a complete substitution of our debt so as you remember Christ when we take communion in a little bit ask yourself these questions what has Christ done in my life what difference has he made what has Christ done in my life and what difference has he made? It's important that we proclaim the gospel. And it says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In the Old Testament, as well as the ancient Near East, covenants and contracts were sealed or ratified with blood. Just as today a contract is signed and then notarized, then blood was the notary. It was the guarantee. As a signature on a contract is binding today, a covenant ratified with blood was binding then. So then communion is to be a visible reminder of the binding covenant that covers our sins. Now some people are abstract learners. Uh, that is, they process concepts and they learn from concepts. Others are concrete learners. That is, they process through their senses what they can see, what they can touch, what they can smell. They learn from pictures and examples. The Lord's Supper then is a concrete example of the gospel just as our lives should be. Francis of Assisi is attributed to this quote, and I'm sure you've heard it before. Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. The Lord's Supper is a visual 
demonstration of the love of Christ. His substitutionary death on the cross. And so through this, it's important that we affirm our fellowship. Let's read 1 Corinthians 10. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are of one body. Communion. Common union. The act of sharing or holding in common. A participation. It is because of what Christ has done for us that we can have fellowship together. It binds us and it unites us. As we celebrate this communion, the Lord's Supper, we are identified together as followers of Christ. It's why sports teams wear the same colour. It's why biker clubs wear the same badges. It's why nations sing their national anthems. It brings us a sense of belonging and unity. It reminds us that we're in this together. The communion of the Lord's Supper does the same thing. It reminds us that we are of one body. It reminds us that we are to participate and share life together in Christ through ministry and mission and the use of our individual gifts. And this is where the Corinthian church went wrong. They apparently forgot what it was about. They stopped making it about Christ and about one another. It became about selfishness, pride, indulgence, excess. Doesn't that remind you of the world? We are to be kingdom builders, not empire builders. In scripture it says, So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. It had ceased being true communion, common union. They weren't considering others as more important than themselves. They were holding each other in contempt and not upholding the unity of the body. They had broken the greatest commandment, which is what, folks? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Neither God nor neighbor was being loved and honored in what was taking place. And then we read on. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and of the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Powerful words, isn't it, that Paul's using? He's being quite direct. He's not messing around. He's not flaying around at the edges of what they're doing. He's being quite direct and talking to them. Paul says that um, it was an unworthy manner 
in which they were acting. They were not recognizing it for what it is, and they were turning into something. It's not. When we take communion unworthily, we could say we take it unworthily when we take it without proper remembrance. We could say that we're not thankful for what Christ has done. And we could say we take communion unworthily when we take it without any spiritual insight. And we could take communion unworthily when it becomes ritualistic. Paul goes on to say everyone ought to examine themselves. It's a good practice. So ask yourself, what are your motives for taking the Lord's Supper? Are you loving God with all your heart? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Your neighbor could be the person sat next to you on the table this morning. Ask yourself those questions. Paul says that if we take the Lord's Supper without discerning the body of Christ, then we drink judgment to ourselves. And what does he mean by without discerning the body? And I think that what he's talking about here is the not recognizing and participating in the unity that is brought about by the blood of Christ. That if we fail to understand, recognize and participate in the oneness of the body that each member is a part of, then we fail to discern all that Christ has done. If you or I withhold our gifts from the body, then we're doing great disservice to it. If you or I withhold our gifts from the body, we're doing a great disservice to it. It's not about you or me. It's about Christ and it's about others. You honor Christ and minister to others when you participate in the body, the fellowship, the communion. When you use what God has given you to minister and participate in the body, you honor him. So what we're going to do, we are going to take communion this morning. And we're going to remember what Christ has done. We're going to let it be a proclamation of the gospel in you and through you. And we're going to let it affirm our fellowship and communion with Christ in his body. And we're going to do something interesting. And this is where, if we could start pouring the wine out now, that would be great. So don't let these guys distract you while I I give these instructions. We're going to do something interesting with these things now. And I want to say this. I want to say that each one of us has done things we're not proud of. Each and every one of us has done things we're not proud of. I shouted at Kath a couple of days ago in an argument. I'm not proud of it. I apologize and ask for forgiveness afterwards. There will be things in your lives that you are not proud of, things that you have done. Don't deceive yourselves. None of us are super spiritual. At times, some of us might have found ourselves pulled towards pettiness and bitterness rather than being pulled towards Christ. And again, I challenge each and every one of you 
You might have immediately, you know, um, told yourself off for it and asked for forgiveness. But every one of us, I would say, has been pulled at some point or other towards pettiness and towards bitterness. And what I want to do is I want to take this act of eating the bread and drinking the wine from just something of remembrance, something of just remembering him, but to something concrete. So, what I'd like you to do is there should be a pen on each table and you should have your own, your own pens there. And uh, I'd like you to do the following, if you will. And you can keep it kind of hidden from others. But maybe right, I want you to open the napkin up. So I'd like you to open the napkin up like, uh, like this. So open it up like this. There's a pile of napkins for each and every one of you here. So open it up like that. And then in the center of one side, doesn't matter which side, I'd like you to write something. And right in the center of the napkin, maybe one thing that is standing in the way of the relationship that you want with God. If there is one, write that one thing down. Or maybe, maybe it's a fear that keeps you up at night. Maybe it's a fear that stops you moving forward in something. Maybe, maybe there's a person you're in conflict with. And you just can't seem to find a way out of that conflict. Why don't you maybe write down their first name or their initial, their first initial. Basically what I want you to do is take those things that are stopping you every now and again from really having true communion with your father. And there is something for everybody. I could write in mine, I tell you what, I could write in mine, impatience. I've got better over the years. But I can still be rather impatient, which can cause arguments, which can cause people to feel uncomfortable because I want to move forward with something quickly. So I would write that down in the middle of mine. So if you're not writing anything down, I want to talk to you and find out how you run your life because you're amazing. Absolutely amazing. So let's just take a few moments just to do that. So open it up. Write whatever it is down in the middle here and then fold it back over so nobody else can see it. Or if they can still see it through the napkin, hold it. Hold it there on your napkin. Okay. Now, there's a reason I gave you two glasses. Because I didn't think some of you would really appreciate everybody dipping their napkin into the glass you're going to drink of. So there's a glass that's not as full as the other. Yeah, you might have to pour it in or something. Take your finger, when you fold your napkin back up, and place it on the point where you wrote whatever you wrote, and hold it like that. Right? So, take your finger, hold it like that, and then ever so gently and carefully, you can dip it into either wine if you want. I just gave you the option. Dip it into one of the glasses with wine in. You don't have to do much. Just dip it in. Dip it in. Or whichever other way you can do it. Maybe dip your other finger in, then touch it. 
Now, can you unfold it? So if you've screwed it up, unfold it and kind of make it flat on your hand. And if you've not got your words, try again. It's a bit of fun, but there's something serious about this. Unfold your napkin so you can see the word or the person's initial or whatever it was that you wrote. And what do you see? It's wet. What else do you see? You should, if you've done it right, you should now be seeing the wine has covered your writing. So the wine has covered your writing. If you haven't, I gave you great instructions. I don't know why it hasn't. If you haven't, imagine that your wine has covered the thing that you wrote on your napkin. Well, I want to say something very serious. That the wine represents the blood. Poured out for you, poured out for me. And this napkin, with whatever it was that you wrote, is how Christ sees our fears and our pains. He's covered them with his blood. And there is nothing that we can do or say that takes us out of his love. No matter how hard you try. Nothing. He has covered that with his blood. So now what I'd like us to do is to share the bread that's on the tables under the, in the basket in the middle with one another. And I'd like us to drink the wine in remembrance of him. But remember the thing that you wrote down that's now covered with his blood has been dealt with. So as we take the bread and drink the wine, we pass it on together. If you want to share it on tables, do so. Remember that. Let's go ahead. Let's take bread and wine together. God's really laid it on my heart just to say this one extra thing to you, and that is if there is any person or person to which you have fallen out with or you have a disagreement with and you found it hard to forgive and even harder to reconcile, forgiveness takes one person, you. Reconciliation takes two people, you and them. Can I encourage you, as you've remembered Christ through taking the blood, eating the bread, drinking the wine, eating the bread. Can you, between now and next week, can you pray to God about how you can resolve that situation? Because it's already been done. As far as he's concerned, it's already sorted. It just needs to happen in the natural. So I believe God's saying that because there are probably people in here who do have issues that they need to deal with, with other people. And take it upon yourself now to resolve that between this week and next. Would you do that if that is you? Just everybody say yes and then whoever it is isn't, isn't showing up. Great. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening this morning. The one very important notice is that we pray every Monday evening except for the first Monday evening in the month. We pray together, and we want to pray together. So we invite each and every one of you to come and join us here 
on a Monday night from 7.30 up in the Loft Cafe and we pray. And we pray for the city. And we pray for our nation. So if you're able and if you're willing, please come tomorrow night from 7.30. Come to this door here at the top uh, and we'll try and leave it on its latch so you can just walk in. I'm generally here from about, or Kath's generally here from about, or somebody will be generally here from about 7 o'clock, so you could even grab a quick coffee before we begin, if you come a bit early. But prayer is foundational to all that we do. And doing it together is brilliant. Because out of our prayer times, there's been prophetic words, guidance, vision, direction. And that's where we're going to be seeking the face of God. So... That's my only encouragement from the uh, various list of notes you've got on there. But God bless you guys. Have a great week.